Welcome to a Meaningful Marketplace. I'm Sarah Massoni from Oregon State University's Food Innovation Center, where I've helped countless dreamers launch their new food products. It's the science of taking a food delight from the kitchen to mass manufacturing and still keeping its great taste. That's what I do. I've been called the woman with the million-dollar palate, although I haven't tried to cash that check yet. Listen in weekly for real-life stories. I'm Sarah Marshall, owner of Marshall's Hot Sauce and author of Preservation Pantry, modern canning from root to top and stem to core. I love inspiring business owners to get started on their journeys, encouraging folks to be part of their local community, and I'm excited to help business owners tell their stories. Join us as we explore the journeys of women entrepreneurs in the food and beverage industry. Hello and welcome to Missoni and Marshall, a meaningful marketplace. Thanks for joining us as we hear the stories of female food entrepreneurs. We're here to help tell stories of inspiration and hope for all of our food-loving friends out there. This is Sarah Marshall, owner of Marshall's Hot Sauce. And Sarah Missoni of Oregon State University's Food Innovation Center. How's your week been, Sarah? Hectic, very hectic. Are you working on lots of new projects? We have so many exciting projects going on. Um, I can't tell you about them because they're I know, top they're secret. All... <laughs> <laughs> I, I like to ask because I know that you can't tell me, but I just picture lots of amazing things happening. <laughs> yeah, but on a personal note, um, we decided to become boondocking campers at our house. Oh, yeah. So we got a little teardrop camper to take out into the woods and I'm excited about that that's really cool where's your first destination oh we're going to Fort Stevens cool uh, for Father's Day weekend so that'll that'll be really fun yeah and how about you is your little girl done with school for the year yeah this is the last week um she has her you know, move up day tomorrow. So she's going to be a second grader. Uh, oh. so we're just sort of wrapping the year and then we're going to go on a little family beach trip as well. It's like That's a nice way wonderful. to just celebrate the year and get out of town a little bit. That's great. Yeah. So, so it'll be, it'll be super good. Um, on food related news, I did oh. want to tell people about, um, I got a new cookbook, um, from our buddy Gregory. So, um, his book just came out this week. It's a Haitian cookbook, Gregory Gourdet. Uh, you can find it on Amazon or Powell's. I got mine at Powell's and they come signed right now. So um, that's been really, it's really fun book. It's all vegetable paleo based recipes, but then a Haitian influence. So um, we're making another recipe tonight, which is a cauliflower puttanesca. So instead of noodles, you use cauliflower and um, it has like the uh, olive and sun-dried tomatoes and I'm really excited about it (laughs) that sounds like it's Italian not Haitian well but then there's like other spices in there yeah no it's a it's a really fun book and all the recipes are really delicious so I recommend it for sure if anybody wants to um experiment I would recommend that his um dessert recipes in there because he's kind of known for his desserts he is known for desserts and there are some in there yeah i haven't made any of them yet you know i'm not a big dessert gal but um, well i know people in in your family like desserts that's for sure yeah i know (laughs) they would love it if i did (laughs) 
All right. Well, it's not just Sarah and I today. We have a special guest with us in the studio. Uh, I would like to introduce you to Hannah Crum. Hannah is the queen of kombucha. <laughs> she um, is also sometimes known as the kombucha mama. She runs a kombucha camp, online kombucha teaching program, and is the author of the big book of kombucha. Welcome, Hannah. Thanks for having me, Sarah and Sarah. It's nice to have you. I think I'm going to call you Hannah Worldwide. Oh, I like this. <laughs> I like it too. You know, you're special when Sarah sings you a little, sings you into the studio. I love it. <laughs> I guess I have done that a few times, haven't I, Sarah? Well, yeah. I mean, it just means you're very excited. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's this picture, picture of Hannah where she's holding up this big, scoby mm-hmm. i mean it looks like it's 10 pound scoby or something can you yeah. tell us about that scoby yeah that that comes from a continuous bird that has been ignored for many months <laughs> and then when the photo shoot comes around you're like here i've got an example whoa this is much bigger than i thought <laughs> oh my god that thing is alive <laughs> you know, yeah I, you could slice it and make it into jerky or something mm-hmm. People, people do all kinds of things with the scobies, right? They do. Yeah. I just had a, a, a chat today with a woman who turns them into jewelry and clothing. What? Oh. How do you make a scoby into clothing? I know. Well, you, you dehydrate make it. into it. like a leather? Exactly right. So it has sort of a leathery-like texture, but she um, ended up going to Paris for Fashion Week and being featured in National Geographic. So yeah, it's it's a thing. That's so cool. I never would have thought, but then now that you say it, it does really make sense. <laughs> Whoa, Sarah, let's see if we can make a hot sauce piece of clothing out of your hot sauce by drying it. I don't know if you'd want to do that. It would burn your skin. I mean, I get hot sauce uh, splashed on me and it really does burn you, like not temperature yeah, wise, but hot. like the, yeah, I'm it's a joking. fun idea, but... <laughs> Not practical. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) Well, Hannah, we want people to be able to find you. So um, social media wise, where can they find you at? Kombucha camp, camp with a K because I'm cute and clever. So (laughs) kombucha camp everywhere. Instagram, Pinterest, YouTube, Facebook. Consistent. All right, cool. Well, people will find you and they can follow along on your journey. Uh, We want to talk about how you started. So you didn't start out as the kombucha queen, but how did you become it? Yeah. You know, I like to say kismet. The kombucha found me. You know, a lot of people come to kombucha because they had a health challenge. They tried everything. They heard about this weird stuff, kombucha. Maybe it can help with my digestive issue, my this, that, or whatever issue. And so they give it a try. For me, I had no idea it even existed. I was visiting a friend from um, college who had moved to San Francisco, very groovy, early 2000s. And on this awesome tour of his apartment in the Mission, um, there was a jar. And in the jar was floating stuff. And they go, that's the kombucha. And I'd never heard of it. I'd never had it. We didn't even try it because it wasn't ready. So I came back to LA. And of course, at Whole Foods, it was everywhere. I grabbed a bottle and for me, for me, it was like, oh, love it first sip. Do you remember your first sip? What was your first sip like? Well, I grew up with hippie parents. So I had kombucha as a kid and I actually didn't 
no one ever knew what it was, you know? So like we would always have the weird jar on the fridge and kids would come over and be like, what is that? Something's wrong up there. And I'd be like, oh no, it's this like tea my parents drank, whatever. And then I, I was really surprised when it started, when I would see it on the marketplace. I mean, it makes total sense, but I just was like, oh, this is a thing. <laughs> I think the first time I drank it was actually a commercial product and I didn't know it had residual alcohol in it, but I would treat myself like during work, I'd go out when we go out for lunch and stuff, I'd buy a bottle and I'd be like, this is awesome. You know, I would <laughs> that feel feels so great. relaxed. Yeah. yeah. I drink it. <laughs> yeah. So that was ruined by whatever. So we can't either have to claim the alcohol or not have it in there. Right. Actually, you know, most commercial kombuchas do have trace amounts of alcohol present, and that is listed on their label. In yeah. order to be compliance with taxation laws, it has to be less than half a percent. And in fact, you're hitting on some of the legislation I'm working on through Kombucha Brewers International. So oh. um, we're kind of jumping to the end of the story here a little bit. But um, basically, I fell in love with kombucha. Once I discovered it and, and fell in love with that flavor, I had to make it. And so um, because my friends were making it, why shouldn't I? My thirst outgrew my budget. It was still, you know, $5 a bottle or something back then, which was expensive yeah. for me. So I, I just started brewing my own. I checked out every book from the library and just passion turned into side hustle where I was like, oh, well, let me teach people how to make kombucha and I can charge for a class or something like that. So that's how kombucha camp. Um, came to be born because I was teaching you at camp at my house and how we make it. And then I started blogging about it in 07. In 2010, the big, you know, kombucha withdrawal happened. This was a big schmoo in the in the commercial industry and was sort yeah. of the, the seed that led to Kombucha Brewers International. Um, yeah. And here we are all these years later advocating for the Kombucha Act, keeping our manufacturers from being unfairly taxed while championing health act. Act. Uh, we did not come up with that. Some clever uh, lawmaker did, <laughs> but we love it. And um, yeah, so basically we're trying to change the threshold of taxation for kombucha from half a percent to one and a quarter percent ABV, because even at that level, most people are not intoxicated. So even though you might've enjoyed the side benefits of that little bit of alcohol, it probably didn't cause you to, you know, impair your driving or function or anything like that. It just, yeah. Went a little bit. Well, during that time when the, you know, what hit the fan, I was working with a local brand called kombucha wonder drink. Yes. And one of the things that they had been doing for a long time was making a product that absolutely had zero alcohol. And so they really benefited from that sort of legislative issue that was going on at that time? Yeah, it wasn't a legislative issue at all. Actually, it was just a liability fear. Um, so there was no federal recall. This wasn't some like consumer complaint. Nobody was complaining. Everybody was loving it the way it was. Uh, the problem was, of course, Whole Foods is afraid that if they were caught selling products that were out of compliance, that then could lead to liability, right? Our country is very much ruled by fear of liability. And so- um, yep. Litigious. Mm -hmm. very, very litigious. That's right. Yes. Very well, litigious. So you, you, we know how you started now you just fell in love and you started teaching people. You wanted everybody to find the kombucha love in the world. So I want to, um, <clears throat> talk a little bit about, have you talk a little bit about where you are now in that process, because you mentioned, um, you're a huge part of 
different boards of different organizations. Can you talk a little bit about those? And so people know about them. I think she has like seven job titles listed. Kombucha expert, master brewer, (laughs) entrepreneur, public speaker, author and educator, Mm -hmm. commercial brewing consultant, and trade association president and activist. Oh my gosh. Um, Never a dull moment here. You're amazing. (laughs) Well, this is when passion and love finds you, right? Like a lot of people, they don't know their purpose. I know my purpose. I just, um, you know, still create my own stumbling blocks sometimes. But that said, um, I'm so passionate about kombucha. And really that passion comes not just from a love of kombucha, because I don't think of it as an end point. I think of it as an entry point. It's a gateway. Mm -hmm. It's a gateway into fermented foods and drinks. It's a gateway into being empowered to take back um, control of your health. It's it's a way to um, teach you how you can invest a little time and love in making your own hot sauces, your own fermented foods, your own um, products. And that way you get out of the cycle of consuming industrial food products, which ultimately have a negative impact on the health, especially when we overconsume them. And so really my mission of changing the world one gut at a time, knowing I need to do it in symbiosis, meaning with lots of other people for that to happen is just, it really does come from love. I love planet earth. I love human beings. I, I think that if we were healthier, we would um, have a lot more love that we could share in our communities and whatnot. And so what's a way that I can help do that? It's through this gateway of kombucha to help people see that there are things we can do to really reclaim our health naturally. Hannah, I love that you use the word symbiosis. Do you know why I love the way that word? Because the SCOBY is a symbiosis of all sorts of different bacteria and yeast and stuff growing together in this world that they've created and survive in this crazy liquid. And they do it with the acid of vinegar of truth. Yeah. So pathogens by their nature are weak. And so when they come across that low pH, when they come into contact with alcohol, you know, both of these are preservatives. They are things that kill bacteria, um, the bad guys on contact. And so I really love to think of our culture as a model for human beings, right? So much we think it's all about the competition, but I think when we start to look at the microbial models, we actually see there's a lot of cooperation. Yeah. And, you know, while there is competition, there's also a lot more cooperation and collaboration. You know what I call that? I call that cooperation. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, That's Hannah, how I think of it at the trade association. When I, first, when I first met you, we were in Palm Springs at a conference and you were telling me about um, this kombucha world that you were a part of. And I think you were getting ready to go to the, a big kombucha festival that you were working on and helping to organize. And um, you were telling me that you just, you love to bring the kombucha people together and that you knew all these different people across the platforms, all these other businesses, and that it wasn't about competing with them. It was about like loving what you were doing. So when I, I was so inspired by that, when I came back, I started the Pacific Northwest hot sauce group with all yes, the other hot sauce makers because, and that was really because of you, because I was like, this is how every one should be across the board is that if we all have this one thing that connects us, we can be working together to make our community better and to show our community who we are and what we're doing and why we're doing it. And that really just was inspired from you telling me about what you do with the kombucha world. <laughs> 
And you know well, what the I, best I part about honored. that, Sarah, is, is that song you guys did. There should be a kombucha song, too. <laughs> yeah. Hannah, have you seen the sauce song? No, what's the sauce song? I want to hear so, it. So after, after I joined everybody together, because we all, like, knew each other from events, but we'd never really hung out before or anything, so... I invited everybody over to for a big potluck and said, you just have to make something with somebody else's hot sauce and we're just going to hang out and we're going to get to know each other and we're, it's going to be great. So everyone did and it, and it worked and it was awesome. But then Bobby from Bobby's Boat Sauce, well, Robin is her name, but Bobby's Boat Sauce, she um, decided to start Sauce Aid, which was that we recorded a song that her friend wrote and um, we all were singing different parts of it, kind of like the old, you know, 80s style, We Are the World. And then yeah. all the money went to, to different charities in town and people awesome. would, would, would donate money and we would give them sauce. And so, and so there it. is, there is a song out there that we... It's amazing. I'm all about the songs. Like we recently, so we have World Kombucha Day. This is a holiday my husband invented. It was supposed to launch right before our book came out in 2016, but we were just too overwhelmed. We couldn't get it out. So we launched it in 2020. And last year we did an updated version of, do you know the song Pass the Duchy? From like the eighties musical. Oh yeah. So we did pass the kombucha on the left hand side. So we did our own version, but we did pass the kombucha and everybody was like passing around bottles of kombucha in the video. So I love music. I think it's a great way to, you know, have fun and get your message across. So love it. That's really cool. Well, I just wanted, I never got to like officially thank you for inspiring me to do it, but Thank you. <laughs> I'm so honored. Thank you. I'm That's so glad cool. we met at the conference. It was really wonderful. And I have your cookbook sitting in my kitchen. And I think oh, it's like in all yeah. my videos because it's right there in the background. Everybody sees it. Yeah, that That's was so like cool. what I was going to say, Sarah. You just got more copies of your book available, didn't you? Yeah, I did. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Got a, a coffee in my throat. Um, I did. So my my book um, was out of print for a while. Uh and then now it is back in print. So that's How'd pretty cool. How'd you get it printed? That's so cool. Yeah, my publisher, we just figured it out. So um, it, you know, the publishing world is a mess sometimes and they couldn't afford to put out more books after they ran the first run at all. Not just my book, but any books. And so now they're doing them through Amazon, which is just a way that they could hang on and survive. So they have printed copies. We can get them on demand. So it's really a nice way to make the book come back to life because it was missing after that first year. So <laughs> it feels That's really cool. nice to have it back in my hands again. It's a great way to leverage technology to your advantage. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. That's so that, that's good. Hannah, let's talk about your book. Because yeah. tell people what it's called, where they can get it. Let's hear about it. It's called The Big Book of Kombucha because it's 400 pages. That's <laughs> big. It's, it's a decade of my life. Mm -hmm. um, my husband and I co-wrote it and it's got history, health benefits, research, recipes, 260 recipes, um, flavoring inspirations. It's, it's just, you want to know about kombucha. It is what people call the Bible of kombucha. I let them yeah. call it that. Um, it is 
it's just, it's a fun reference book is how I think of it. It's something that, you know, you're going to get your how to's in there, but you'll get a lot of other great ideas, what to do with your extra SCOBYs. And, um, you know, again, if you're interested in the health benefit side of it, what research has been done and, and things like that. So we want to make sure it was really rooted in the science, but then we also have this amazing timeline where we sort of try to go back in time and piece together what that story of kombucha is. And, you know, there's a lot of mythology and legends, but I was at the UCLA um, Japanese studies library looking up in their ancient annals because supposedly there was a story of Dr. Kombu who came over from Korea. And I just, I, I love to research. I love to look things up. I, I studied languages, so I'm just fascinated by other cultures. And I really enjoyed that process of digging in and, and finding everything I could. And we uncovered some weird bits of info. Um, so I didn't exactly find Dr. Kombu per se. Um, but for example, we found a song that was recorded in the 1950s by Renato Corazone about the mushroom that grows, 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 thereby hinting that kombucha must have been popular in Italian culture in the 1950s for it to have a song written about it. So just interesting yeah. little things like that came to light. I think it's an ancient drink. And the thing that is really cool about it is, you know, when something that's relatively new, but it's actually old, but you know that it's become important when they're studying it at universities. Yes. And people are writing masters and PhDs about kombucha. That's that's when you know what you're interested in has kind of made it. Well, and that's, you know, that's so much of what I'm doing now. So we just launched the Kombucha Code of Practice last July. This is our industry sort of definition. And we call it a code of practice as opposed to a standard of identity because we wanted it to remain flexible, right? We don't claim to know everything about our culture. To your point, Sarah, it hasn't necessarily been fully studied like beer and wine, which have had, you know, billions of dollars and hundreds of years of, of study poured into it. And so yeah. we wanted it to remain flexible, but also create a healthy boundary because we know healthy boundaries create a healthy culture um, in that we wanted to make sure it is being fermented and it's not just some, you know, vinegar juice with flavorings in a bottle, um, or if it is that people at least know that's what it is and they can then make an informed decision about what they're buying. Cause honestly, it's really about transparency more than anything else. Absolutely yeah. love the tradition of brewing kombucha, but we know it's not easy to do. It's a labor of love emphasis on the labor and it's very yeah. much a craft process. So, um, Incidentally, I completely agree with you that to be a real kombucha, it really needs to be fermented from all of the ingredients. Yeah, so if that leads us to kind of the teaching piece for you, Hannah. So um, I know that you do uh, kombucha camps. And I think that the first time, even when I was just picking up my daughter and I was telling someone that you were going to be a guest on the show, her, her friend's mom, um, she's like, I tried to make kombucha and mine just turned out really bad. So I think a lot of people have that experience. And I have people that come to the, uh, you know, fermenting workshops with me because something has gone terribly wrong in whatever kind of process they have. And so it is nice to have a coach or a teacher or somebody to kind of walk you through it. So will you tell us a little bit about your camps and classes? Yeah, absolutely. So um, obviously the in-persons were put on hold uh, throughout the pandemic, but we're looking to get those started up as soon as we can do that safely here in LA County, 
um, Los Angeles, California. Uh, that said, we have great video content on YouTube. And I just launched the 30-Day Kombucha Challenge. So this is an email series. You get an email a day for 30 days, encouraging you on your kombucha journey um, with a weekly assessment sheet and everything so that you can really track your changes. And the whole purpose of a 30-Day Kombucha Challenge is just swap your soda, swap your energy drinks, swap your juice, swap your coffee, swap one beverage. It doesn't have to be all of them, but just swap one of those for 30 days. And it's not a certain amount of kombucha. People are like, well, how much should I drink? It's, you know, trust your gut. Um, as we know with fermented foods, people will react differently to them. So we don't want to say you have to drink a certain amount, but by listening to your body and just observing how, when we do incorporate fermented foods every day for 30 days, that can change our palate. It can change our profile, changes the things we desire. Um, Cause it starts to really get in, clear some stuff out uh, and just sort of, again, give you back control, especially because, you know, when we ran this first, in 2012, about three weeks in, I say, okay, now go back and try that diet soda or whatever it was you let go. And people are like, oh, right. Because we do have an emotional connection to it, right? It isn't yeah. just a physiological addiction. It can be emotional as well. And well, there's things about it. Like you go to the fridge, you check to see if it's cold, you take it out, you pop the lid, you get the right ice, you pour it. I mean, that's all ritual. It is like when I used to smoke after a meal or, you know, it's like getting it out the pack and hanging out with the people outside and the, you know, getting the fresh air. I know I haven't, I haven't smoked in a long time. So, but it, but it reminded me of that, that same type of, you know, habit that feels that, you know, is bad for you, but that you do because there's something else to it. But when they tasted that diet soda after three weeks of kombucha, their palates had shifted. And they yeah. could taste it for what it was, which is it's something that's not good for you that tastes like a bunch of chemicals and preservatives. And really, how would you ever find that pleasurable, except that you'd already grown accustomed to it? Exactly. We're going to take a quick break and we'll come back and talk about some of the cool stuff that Hannah has on her website. Oregon State University's College of Agricultural Sciences and the Food Innovation Center are proud sponsors of Meaningful Marketplace. With a mission to serve all Oregonians, we are committed to giving voice to those whose food and agricultural stories are not always heard. By providing access and opportunity for a more diverse and just food system, because food brings people together. Okay, we're back. Wow, Hannah, your website's pretty amazing. Sarah, what was it on there that really caught your eye? Well, what I love is that she has all the supplies that you need to make your own stuff at home. So not only are there instructional videos of how to do it and ways to answer questions, and of course her book is on there, but Hannah, you have all this great stuff so that people can just go to your site and get everything they need to brew at home. Do you have favorite supplies? Of course. Um, so we're bacteria farmers. Add that to my list of titles. Um, but we we grow four cultures. So kombucha, of course, is what we started with. We also have its raw honey green tea cousin, Jun, June, Jun. Oh, you have June. Jun. Yeah, we say Jun rhymes with fun. I don't know why not. But it's really tomato, tomato. We also have milk kefir and water kefir. Um, oh, Yes. So those are our four cultures we work with. It's all the, you know, sort of healthy, low alcohol fermented beverages um, that require a culture. So um, you have a production facility where you're growing all that stuff. Wow. Yes. That's sophisticated. Sophisticated lady. Yeah. So we're in a all organic ingredients and we have our uh, fermentation. But what I really love 
I don't know how it came to me. It just sort of was downloaded, but I make Hannah's special tea blend. So this is a blend of green tea, black tea, white tea, rooibos, yerba mate. It's all blended for flavor and health benefit, all organic, mostly fair trade. And it just, even by the cup, even without turning it into kombucha, it is so delicious. And then it makes really fantastic kombucha tea. So some producers will use our tea. Um, other people will purchase our cultures and starter liquid. So we also not only help homebrewers start their um, passion project, but we also assist commercial producers um, with, you know, leveling up or scaling up their operations or, or whatever they might need there. So that's we're always a big so deal. Yeah. So the dairy industry manages all of their cultures. I am really interested to hear that you're also managing cultures for your for this industry. Yeah, it's super cool. And I, you know, I've had your kombucha that you make when we met. You, I don't know if you just go packing with kombucha everywhere, but you, <laughs> but you had some that you had made and it was so good. I mean, like seriously, the best that I've had, of course, when you're in the food industry, people you know, are just starting out. Like people have me try their kombucha all the time. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's not good. <laughs> when I had yours, I was like, mm-hmm, this is the best I've had. <laughs> oh, thanks. But I, I think it could be the tea. The tea is the key. Um, that, that's really what I think that's what it is. I think it's yeah. because it's a special blend of tea. And, um, you know, I, I just want to recommend that people try it, especially if they're um, brewing at home. I think the tea that you're using is just as important as anything else, you know? Well, so is the container that you use. So <clears throat> if you have a container that you, I mean, if you think you can just throw it in an old bucket... Don't do it. I don't think so. <laughs> you have to actually have a really nice container to brew it in. So it's not previously contaminated by some other weird bacteria, which can give you really weird off flavors. Yeah. If, if it smells funky, if it looks funky, if it tastes funky, toss it. Right. Those are when in doubt, throw it out. That's exactly right. Start over. Well, that's the amazing thing about our ferments. They're so prolific. Right. So because the SCOBY is always reproducing, we, we, I don't, I might've even invented this term. I have no idea. SCOBY hotel. So this is just a jar with SCOBYs hanging out in liquid and they're just there waiting for you to use them uh like should you get mold or if you need to give some to a friend so it's um you know we just we love educating we love making sure people have accurate information because you know heretofore there was just a bunch of sort of the same information circularly referred to and there was no real reference point some of it was fear-based um, and a lot of it, a lot of the fear-based stuff isn't accurate. And so that was really the mission with creating the website was just to put accurate information about kombucha into the world to get rid of the confusion. So I know people will look at different sites and they'll be like, well, I'm confused. And I'm like, well, here's how you stop being confused. Just read kombucha camp. We're going to give you all the best practices. And again, it's not saying you have to follow these rules, but once you know the best practices, then you can play, you can get flexible, you can experiment, you can try different things. So can, can you talk about sanitation for just a minute? Because that's kind of the food safety side of making kombucha. Absolutely. Well, this is the lovely thing about all of our fermented foods and drinks is they inherently have the defense mechanisms built within them. Um, and so 
what we're looking for from, so from a food sanitation perspective, of course, it's, you know, all the normal things, clean hands, clean working space. It's actually really hard to contaminate your kombucha unless you're sort of abusing some of the basics like temperature. It really does like to have a warmer temperature because that helps the yeast to move along in their process of splitting. They excrete an enzyme invertase that splits the sucrose, the sugar from the disaccharide into monosaccharide components. And when it does that, it creates ethanol, which is a valuable preservative um, because just like rubbing alcohol, it's killing microbes. And then as that's happening, the pH is dropping. And so the pH, um, which is our acidity level, is, is so low that it's, there's never been an instance of botulism found below 4.6. Kombucha always is between 2.5 and 3.5 for the most part. So it's incredibly safe. It's really easy to make. And many studies have shown it kills things like listeria, salmonella, E. coli, yeah, and other, other mean, things on contact. Acetic acid is the primary acid, right? It's Correct. one of the most strong organic acids in food production. So it's one of the best. So we're actually like easy drinking vinegar. We're tea vinegar, but we don't let it sit. So it has that high acidity solution. We harvest it when we still can enjoy it as a beverage. Pretty cool. Well, and you brought up um, <clears throat> that sometimes things will mold when yes. people are, are kombucha So um, that I, that's probably a really common thing. And I know that you have um, different workshops or like <clears throat> the answers to people's questions of why that happens. But um, I think that's usually when people have the most questions is like they've tried something at home and it has molded. So what does that mean for people if that's happened? Yeah. So it either means you have a weak culture and weak starter. So the starter liquid, which is essentially fermented kombucha, right? Um, we use the very sexy term back slopping which means simply that we're taking some from the batch prior to put into the new batch. So we do that with a lot of different ferments. We simply take some of that previous fermentation and inoculate it right into the new substrate, whatever that might be. So with kombucha, we call that the starter liquid. The SCOBY is the pellicle or the bacterial cellulose. The yeast are also hanging off of it. Again, that's the symbiotic culture of bacteria and yeast. So we need both components. We need the SCOBY which is the raft. It's sort of a template. It has all of the best, this cooperative culture in ideal ratio. And then the liquid, which is a very similar composition, but a little bit different. It's a little more promiscuous, if you will, and that it has other organisms that you may not find in the SCOBY itself. Um, but both of those combined are really important. And so um, the other issue is really temperature because again, like we're it's a symbiosis, but we are stewards of the balance. And so we need to make sure that the bacteria and the yeast stay in balance and that we're um, creating an environment that's harmonious for the yeast to do what they need. The bacteria are a little sturdier, they're a little hardier. And so it's really the yeast that we're catering to when it comes to the temperature. So with kombucha, we're looking at 75 to 85, with 80 being our sweet spot. Now, I know that's a bit warmer than most people's homes, which is why we have heaters and whatnot. People will also say, oh, but I fermented 72 or I fermented 70. That's just fine. Again, you know, that's your process. That's your organism. But if you're finding you're struggling and you have those temperatures, definitely getting into the warmer zone. I just help. figured something out. I once saw somebody using um, a huge aquarium with an aquarium heater to make their kombucha. Yeah, smart. Yeah, I think that's why my parents kept it on the refrigerator, right? Because exactly. it's yeah. like the warm the exhaust. Warm 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know if refrigerators yeah. are still hot like that anymore. I think they probably they have changed. They, they hot are water okay. heaters would work too. They're warm. Yeah, that makes laundry sense. room, right? So these are all places now. Mold is really easy to detect because people are always worried. What if there's some bacteria and I don't know about it, and now I'm consuming this? But remember, these are foods, and foods always tell us when they're not safe to consume. How with through mold? So mold is going to be on top. It's going to be fuzzy. Now, here's the key thing, because sometimes when that scoby is first growing, if you're new to kombucha, you'd be like, ah, it's mold, but it's not. It's just yeast or scoby growth. You touch it with your finger. If it leaves a powdery residue, then it's mold. You want to toss everything and get rid of it. So, and start over with a fresh culture. So whether that's a fresh culture from your hotel or you need to get another culture, whatever that is, we don't ever want to use even if the mother doesn't have mold on it itself, once it grows mold, those spores are throughout the liquid. And so while you might try, you might just fail again. And so, you know, why risk it? Just go ahead and start with a fresh culture. Here's the big question of the day. How long does it take to make kombucha? So again, it really depends on your taste preference and your brewing conditions. If we're in this optimal range of 80, seven to 14 days fits most people's palates. So it just depends on how sweet or tart you like it. Some folks find earlier on, they want a shorter cycle, a little bit sweeter, but really bitter and sour are the flavors of health and digestion. We really do crave them um, once we're able to, you know, clear off that little processed food scum that's covering our tongue. So, um, so when you start drinking your kombucha, you'll start craving it with a little more tanginess. And it's so interesting because, you know, most people, they make a sour face. Like I make that face when I eat too much sweets. Like it's the same, like, Oh, it's too sweet. And that's because Mm -hmm. the kombucha has shifted what I can tolerate. Um, So a lot of people notice that it curbs sugar cravings and it curbs alcohol cravings. Yes, I know. Even though it contains that small amount, it actually prevents you from wanting to consume a lot of So once it hits 14 days, do you just like have to drink five gallons of it all of a sudden? Or what do you do? Wow, that's a lot of kombucha you're brewing, Sarah. (laughs) Well, if I get one of those big things you have on your website it might be well we go up to five gallons so that'd probably be more the family size if you have a lot of people who are drinking the kombucha and even in the continuous brewer we're only taking up to 50 percent at a time so you might be making that five gallon batch but you're only going to be pulling off two to two and a half gallons then you're going to top it off with sweet tea and now instead of having to wait like normally a five gallon batch could could even go a month before you're ready depending on your conditions It's only going to take a portion of that time because we've left so much already fermented kombucha in the vessel. And the continuous brew is ideal in this way because not only can you like pace it. So like, let's say you go out of town, it acts like a SCOBY hotel. You come back, you draw off some sour stuff, put sweet stuff on top, back to your kombucha in a couple of days. You don't have to wait that full time. Plus research has shown that when we're adding more sweet tea, in the later stages of fermentation, we're leading to more of those healthy acids that support our liver to being created. So um, okay. there's a lot of benefits to the continuous process in terms of ease, flexibility. It's always in a pH protected environment, and then you get more acids. So we call it the easiest, safest, healthiest way to make kombucha. So when you take two and a half gallons out, do you just put them in glass jars in the fridge? Um, so usually bottles with tight fitting lids. Um, and that's just because it, the jars, like people love the fizz and kombucha because it's natural effervescence. Um, and so if we don't have a tight fitting lid, remember CO2 is a gas and it'll just dissipate. Okay. So usually the jars, the lid isn't quite as airtight. Okay. So when you put it in the refrigerator, it sort of stops at where it's at, right? 
It never stops completely, but it does slow it down. And that's why you okay. see the keep refrigerated label on the raw and pasteurized kombucha. So like Wonder Drink was one of the first kombuchas to be pasteurized. Um, and yeah. so they can be, you know, on the shelf next to anything really. Um, so they don't actually need to be refrigerated, but kombucha does taste good cold or on ice. Although I live in at room temperature, I either drink at room temperature or over ice. That uh, good. Does kombucha always have sugar in it? I mean, the sugar is not for you. The sugar is for the organisms, right? Because uh, um, all organisms will thrive on glucose. And that's really what it's there for. Um, it's also the teaspoon of sugar helps the medicine go down, right? Otherwise, we'd just be doing shots of ACV. And even that, you need a little honey chaser or something so that you don't like uh, burn your throat on the way down. But yeah, the sugar is a crucial component to the fermentation process. And this is what's cool about it is you take something that most people think of as toxic sugar and you turn it into healthy acids that support the body. So it's this magic of fermentation where we're turning it into something that's a real benefit to our bodies. I um, have one of my farm neighbors is a kombucha farmer's market neighbors is a kombucha brewer. And that's what I hear customers often saying is they're like, you know, they'll say, Hey, do you want to sample, try the kombucha, whatever. And they'll say, Oh, I don't do sugar. And then they'll just keep walking. But I've always kind of thought, I've never really thought of it in that way of like, cause it's not processed sugar. It's not like, you know, I don't know. So I just, I hear that. Well, and it's not high fructose corn syrup. I think this is the, the tricks. The tricks of the trade are, oh, well, we blame sugar. But in reality, the real problem is high fructose corn syrup. The real problem is, you know, aspartame. The real problem is, you know, stuff made in a lab or made with petrochemicals. That's what really has a negative impact on your body. Not the grass that we've been cultivating for 5,000 years, right? But it all gets called sugar and everybody has this, fear reaction to it. And here's the other thing about commercial kombucha. If you use sugar in primary fermentation, you have to list it as added sugars. So even if you're not putting more sugar in post primary fermentation, it still has to go on the label like that. And because our sugars are pre-digested, when you see added sugars on a kombucha label versus a soda label, Absolutely not the same thing at all because the the sugar in kombucha is pre-digested, has a lower glycemic impact. It's already been broken into those smaller molecules. And so it's easier for your body to process. So it's not an apples to apples comparison, but looking at the nutrition label, you'd never know that. I think I've seen too, on some of the commercial products, there's a way to label it to show we're not adding extra sugar. It's just part of our brewing process. Is is there something that you've seen across the industry that people put on it just for our food producer friends out there? No, but some, some people now are using fruit juice instead of sugar. So like you'll look at a a synergy bottle and you'll notice there's no sugar listed in the ingredients nor in added sugars. And that's because they're using kiwi juice in primary. Oh, that's cool. Yes. They're using kiwi juice. That's what the label says. Yeah. So it says kiwi juice. I looked up kiwi juice has fructose, sucrose, and glucose. So it has all the components. I'm, and all of theirs, they're using ki- kiwi juice. That's With the so synergy weird to line. Me. That's the synergy line. So the synergy uh, line kiwi, is different. Kiwi has a really powerful enzymatic behavior. I'm surprised they're using kiwi juice instead of like pear juice or apple juice or something like that. I just huh. know what's on the label. I just feel like a lot of those of the very first, what I call commercial um, kombuchas have turned into sweet beverages and the flavors have really downgraded 
They don't taste as good as they used to. Like that one drink, Kavita. It's terrible now. It used to be it's one of my Pepsi. favorite. Yeah, it's they've really. Yeah, no, it's Pepsi. actually kombucha from concentrate. It's also yeah. pasteurized, you know, and they've tried but to it hide was that. Really but good. I don't think when it first knows. came out, I it believe was it. really yeah. good. But it was probably traditionally fermented. Yeah. Well, and you know, we see that kind of stuff in the food industry all the time where a company is doing something really good. It's usually started by, you know, one person who's into whatever it is, fermenting, canning, whatever. And then they get bought by a bigger company and then it's not the same thing. And I think that that probably doesn't happen, you know, happens a lot. And I think that probably for you, Hannah, you see a lot of people that go from home brewing into commercial, you know, production. And then is it cool to follow along on their journey and see what happens? Always. That's always cool. I just wanted to go back to that point though, because here's what I want to say. A kombucha from concentrate is still probably going to be a better choice than an energy drink, than a soda. And so, you know, as much as I'm, I'm a traditionalist, I'm not going to shy away from that. I'm also, you know, the president of the trade association. My job is to sell kombucha to everybody. And so there are some folks, you know, like a kombucha from concentrate, it's not going to have any alcohol in it. And for some people, they need to have that guaranteed no alcohol in the product. And so there is a place for these products. And again, they're going to be better for you. I think of it like juice, right? You have raw, fresh squeezed juice. You have juice from concentrate and you have pasteurized juice. And we all pick various ones of those juices, depending on where we're at and what we need it for. And the same is true of our kombucha. Now, of course, I'm going to always want to try the traditional brew, the, you know, the raw unpasteurized product. Um, But I also love trying some of those other products just to see where they're at flavor profile wise. Cause I think the kombucha actually still has a really pronounced kind of kombucha flavor to it. Unlike some of these other beverages that have become a little more sweeter, a little more lighter in their offering. So, you know, there, there's something for everybody, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, but it is really awesome. And I truly think the opportunity in kombucha, you know, I get it. People get stars in their eyes. They want to be the big brand. They want it, but they don't understand how much work that is. I think if you build your kombucha brewery, make it into a community place, have your tap room, do your farmer's markets, create life out of it. I think that is a wonderful opportunity for anybody anywhere. Yeah. Um, it's like really the field of dreams. It's yeah. I mean, we don't all have dreams. to be a national brand. We don't all have to be a national brand and we can still make a great living for ourselves, not. serve our yep. communities and, and really just create something that can have a lasting legacy by just really going deep on the roots. Yeah. And I agree. I mean, every community needs one or two salsa producers. So every community needs um, kombucha producers. Yep. Local and regional. Exactly food right. Economy. We all need access to fresh food. Yep. It's so important for the future of food to have local producers, um, producing it right in our neighborhoods. So Hannah, um, let's talk a little bit about what you have to offer for people that are starting um, a business or thinking about starting a business because you have some different things that can help them. What do you got going on? Absolutely. So our consultation is probably a great first place to start. Um, You have questions, we have answers. At the end of your first call, whether that's 30 minutes, 60 minutes, slice and dice the time, however you like, we're going to send you a link to our consultation resources guide. So this will have additional um, vendor supply information, you know, commercial techniques, things like that. So we love being able to help you figure out what process is right for you. So that said, I'm not cookie cutter. I'm not going to say, here's what you do, follow all these steps. 
but I'm going to hear where you're at and offer you the tweaks you need uh, so that you're creating a product that's unique to you and is your, your own product. We also offer things like DNA sequencing. So knowing, as I said before, your culture, your organisms can be really vital to understanding what kind of conditions and food sources they need. Um, so we offer that through a third-party lab. Uh, we also offer HACCP plans, right? Um, we know that with FISMA, uh, Food Safety Modernization Act, uh, we need to be able to communicate very clearly with our regulators that we understand our product, that we understand our process, we know it could go wrong. And our HACCP plan is super easy to, you know, we just have you fill out a form with all of the information, we put it together, and then we train you on it in an editable format. So should anything change in your process, you're able to make those updates on your own. Plus you're able to clearly communicate with your regulator where everything is safe. And, and, if it, and if something goes wrong, you have the steps in place to manage that. So we really try to make it easy for folks to plug into those different products and get quick turnaround on them because they need them. Do you ever have um, restaurants that you help do that for? I have in the past. Yeah. So I've definitely helped restaurants get set up. You know, there's a challenge with restaurants because you got to have someone on staff who's going to be the caretaker because it really yeah. does involve care. It's not just mix these ingredients and it's always going to turn out the same. And so you really got to have that person at the restaurant who's dedicated to making that happen. Um, but that said, many restaurants have a house kombucha and it's pretty fabulous. So um it's, it's a really great thing to add, and it's really affordable um, in terms of adding it into the mix. Yeah, sometimes, the at least how it works here in Oregon, you know, the restaurants are inspected by the um, health department, and sometimes they are very anti-fermenting unless you have some kind of plan that you can show them. So I didn't, I didn't know if I could um, send people to you if they need help with yes. those plans because yes. um, that has come up a lot, especially with people who want to do like fermented hot sauce or kimchi or something like that. The health department really wants, um, you know, this is the specifics of who's going to monitor it, how they're going to monitor it, but the restaurants, uh, you know, need a little help with that sometimes. And, so. you know, we also have put together HACCP plans for fermented veggies and things like that. So beyond kombucha, we can also help you with those other fermented um, foods and drinks. That's our, that's our cool. niche. Yeah. I think that's um, a good, a good thing for people to know. Cause I feel like I get that question a lot just from food friends in the community. So now that everyone's in love com with kombucha, are you seeing more interest in other types of fermented beverages? And you had mentioned you have gin, you have um, kefir. kefir. Uh, what do you think the next big fermented beverage is going to be? I mean, both gin and water kefir are starting to pick up in popularity. And I think that's directly related to kombucha paving the way. And one of the ways we can tell is, again, we go back to the market leader, which here in the United States, well, actually around the world, is GT Dave. Um, you know, he's the guy who in 95 put it in a bottle and started selling it, whereas everyone else just made it at home on their kitchen counter. So he has line extensions into water kefir. He also has like coconut yogurt kefir, you know. So I think when you, he's also, doing ACV drinks, so apple cider vinegar drinks, which obviously the ACV is fermented, but you can just buy it off the shelf. You don't necessarily have to make the ACV in-house. So um, that's one way to sort of see what the trends are. I think the other way, I think another one I've been seeing a little bit more of is Tapache. Um, uh, that's become a little more popular. I've seen some of the kombucha brands offering it. I think kombucha water actually can be a really popular beverage, especially for folks who find full-strength kombucha to be a little too intense, just mixing it with a little more water. It's very hydrating, very refreshing. Um, and what I think that we're going to see in the future that isn't totally here yet, 
is mixing more minerals into our fermented drinks because they will help balance the acidity, but we're so depleted, our soil so depleted, and our bodies as a result are incredibly depleted of minerals. And because we're batteries, we really need that magnesium, potassium, all of those electrolytes to keep things functioning. And that's fermented foods have a great advantage there and that they produce a lot of those minerals. Um, so they're really great. But yeah, absolutely the water keeper. I mean, we've seen things like ginger bug or ginger sodas becoming, you know, like traditional full body flavored ginger soda is another outgrowth of that, I would say. Inside notes that aren't fermentation, we've seen things like maple waters. Like, I think people are just, they're curious. They're casting about for different types of, of products and beverages. You know, people always want more choice. We've seen the numbers on soda. They continue a downward trend, even as more, you know, healthier, you know, trendy sodas sort of try to come into being even the whole hard seltzer trend. Oh yeah, so that's the other one, hard kombucha. Now hard kombucha is a form of kombucha, but it has to be adulterated with other yeasts that create higher alcohol content. Because of that vinegaration process, all of the ethanol and kombucha will eventually turn into acetic acid. And so you can't yield a high alcohol product unless you're adding different types of yeast that can get it to that higher alcohol level. So yeah. um, so you can't accidentally make a hard kombucha. Um, <laughs> you have to do it on purpose. You have well, to we're seeing hard. I saw hard coffee and hard Coca-Cola and coffee blended. Has anyone been making? I We actually quite a few years ago did this product called Kombufi. We called it. Yeah, that's Kombufi. That's exactly right. Kombufi or We kombucha. just made it up. That was yeah. like 20 years ago. We were like, hey, yeah. what, if, what would it be if it was made for coffee? And we called that's it right. Kombufi. Yes. And yeah, I saw that at trade shows. Like, what? Somebody stole my idea. <laughs> Good ideas. They're just flowing around there and someone just snags onto it. Same with like yeah. your, your bucha, your bamate bucha, her bucha, actually a woman in Oregon, um, Eva's her bucha. She's been making herbal kombucha for a really long time. And so when people look at our code of practice at KBI and they're like, well, it's called kombucha and the word cha means tea. How can you allow these beverages that don't have tea? And I'm like, well, kombu also means seaweed, but we don't have any seaweed in our products. And, you know, the reality is it's a flexible technology. This is the beauty. Seaweed would be a really good way to get minerals in there. It would. Maybe we need a seaweed kombucha. And maybe we should make one out of a spirulina. People do. Yeah. So I've seen like the blue spirulina. Um, yeah. Yeah. Those are really nice too. Charcoal. Some of the, somebody out there, one of you listeners, get busy. <laughs> oh go, somebody else go do get the to, work. Get to yeah. work. Hannah will consult with you. <laughs> yes. But well, yeah, I mean, you're, you're right. It becomes a medium for all kinds of things. And so it's like all the flavors of ice cream, but now it's all the flavors of kombucha. Exactly. Well, ladies, uh, this is my least favorite part of the show, but I have to tell you it's time to wrap it up because we're out of time. So Hannah, let's um, give your website one more time so they can find you and get all of your great stuff. Yes. So kombucha camp, camp with a K, click on store for all of your needs, but there's tons of great info you can surf there. Kombuchabrewers.org is where you'll find um, KDI, the code of practice and, and all things related to producers. Um, but you will also, of course, find resources for producers at kombucha camp as well. So um, just search kombucha and Hannah, and I'm sure you'll find me. Well, thanks for joining us today, Hannah. Thanks for leading the kombucha makers 
both home and um, industrial. Everybody, thanks for leading us all through it and bringing kombucha into so many people's lives. You are amazing. Very amazing. Thank you. We record Missoni and Marshall live every week. You can listen to past episodes on iTunes and Stitcher. Thank you to our audio engineer, Lon, and our production assistant, Chelsea. If you want to be a guest on the show, you can send us a message at our Missoni and Marshall Instagram, and we will be back next week. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Bye. Bye for now. Market of Choice is a proud sponsor of Meaningful Marketplace. As a family-owned organ grocer for 42 years, Market of Choice strives to inspire, mentor, and assist a diverse group of local producers and foster equity in our communities. With 11 stores in Oregon, Market of Choice supports these craft makers, as well as farmers, fisherfolk, and ranchers, by bringing more than 7,000 local products to market. Together, we form a sustainable, community-based food system that serves our great state. To learn more, go to marketofchoice.com. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.